was a youth pastor in Wisconsin. Uh, Teresa and I have been married about eight years. The senior pastor, he was uh, one of the chairmen or one of the big leaders in the Rotary Club. Now, the Rotary, it was like all the movers and shakers of the community. I mean, you've got the, the uh, presidents of the companies and the, the small business owners and the school superintendents. It was just huge movers and shakers people. It was, it was the, the people who, who made things happen. Well... My pastor, senior guy, was again charge, in charge of the, setting up the speakers. They'd meet once a month, and they had some guru guy flying in from the East Coast who was supposed to wax eloquence on leadership or something. And the, I remember the, the morning, uh, then my senior guy comes into my office, and he said, Mark, I need you to help me out. Our speaker for Rotary today, is uh, he missed his plane. He's not going to be able to speak. And I would do it, but I've got this funeral I can't get out of. So would you speak at Rotary? I'm so, I, I can't speak to these guys. I, I, I don't have anything prepped. He said, well, you've got youth group tonight. What are you talking about? I said, well, we're, we're talking about sex. And he said, uh, okay, that'll work. Just, you know, tell the, 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 the teenagers in the area and they should know all about this and then do some practical application for these guys and it'll work. It'll be fine. So I said, oh, so, okay. So I, I prepped and did the work. I had like 20 minutes. So I got everything all together and I went and believe it or not, the talk went well. I mean, it just went well. Was, everything came together, and they seemed to be well-received. And I thought, wow. Okay. So I got back to the office, and I worked hard. I had youth group that night, worked through dinner, youth group. Uh, kids had issues. Got home late. Truce was already in bed when I got home. I thought she was asleep. I kind of uh, snuck in and got in real quietly as much as I could. And uh, I was dead. I was falling asleep quickly myself. And all of a sudden, she rolled over, and she said, uh, how would your day go today? And I said, you know, I, I had to speak at Rotary. And she says, well, what would you speak on? And I knew if I said sex, this conversation was going to go on a lot longer. And I didn't, I didn't have time. I needed to get to sleep. I was tired. So I started to say, I said, sailing. I spoke on sailing. And, and honey, just, I, I got to get to sleep. She said, well, all right. So she went to sleep. Next morning, got up left before she got out of bed. She was in, in our version of Wegmans uh, back in Wisconsin. She's in the produce area. And... Uh, the next day, a couple of ladies approached her. And they said, so tell me, uh, uh, isn't your husband Mark Harris, that youth pastor at that, that, that Alliance Church? She said, well, yeah. And they kind of looked at each other and smiled. And they said, he spoke at Rotary yesterday, didn't he? And she said, yeah. And they kind of looked at each other and winked. And they said, our husbands loved what he had to say. It was very impactful on them. And they kind of looked and smiled. And they winked at her. And she's going... She said, well, I don't know why he spoke on that. He, he's only done it twice. <laughs> Once he got tied up in all those ropes they use, and the other time he threw up on three different people. <sighs> anyway, that didn't really happen, just so you know. That didn't really happen. <laughs> but you had to break the ice somehow, because when you say you're going to talk about sex, it kind of gets... Ah, ah, ah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm very excited about th th this series, but let me tell you where we're going with this. Um, we're going to be talking today about sex and marriage. Next week, sex in the single. Third week, Christopher Yuan is here. Very excited. You know, he is a uh, professor at Moody today, Moody Bible Institute. He's HIV positive. He will be with us that Saturday evening. Um, and 
my goodness, y'all, you know this is, is, is coming at us faster than we, we just need to know what we're, how can we respond and be loving and, and see maybe this is an opportunity for people to come in the kingdom. Just what should we do? Saturday night, uh, we invited a lot of other churches in the community, but please be here for that. Then Sunday morning, he and his mom and dad will be here sharing. And so if you know of anybody who has a prodigal of, of any stripe, just an adult child who's walking away, who's, you know the heartbreak it can cause, well, as his mom would even share, I think it'll be good for, for even in that regard. Um, then the fourth week, I'm calling it our sexual smorgasbord. And what that is, is we're going to have just a handful of different topics. One of them, um, even how do you share this with your kids? How do you prep your, your, your children? And that's important because... My dad never told me about sex. My dad's only counsel to me was, son, if God didn't want us to kiss women, he wouldn't have given us lips. That was it. That was it. I'm surprised I didn't end up in prison. You know, so, oh, okay, well, I've got to be a good, obedient child, I suppose. Um, but when I was in sixth grade, Bill H., I'm going to give you his last name in case he happens to hear this, but he was a uh, uh, shop class. He let me know everything. And then some. I mean, he just, whoa, wow, I had never heard this before. And he got some of the stuff wrong, but, you know, for your sixth grade kid, wow, I don't know. So in that absence of someone sharing with me about sex correctly, I was kept looking for Bill H's through junior high, high school, trying to figure out what this is, what's going on in my body, what is happening. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, we, this has been a... Uh, uh, firestorm in many ways. You know, we had a sign, not the neon, but kind of like this, right out in front of the, the, the church, you know, Good Sex Sunday. I suppose that was probably the bad thing. Good Sex Sunday at 9 o'clock. <laughs> we got out, the phone started ringing immediately, and we got, we got some people very upset, you know, looks like a brothel. We got some folk, um, we got some folk saying, it's about time that somebody addresses this. You know, it, thank you. We had some folks saying, I can't believe you're doing this. What time are those services again? Uh, we got, <laughs> so a, actually, we had to take the sign down because we didn't want to offend our community. That's, that's definitely not the goal. And anybody that was hurt that I was able to communicate with, I apologized all over the place. We pulled the sign down. But also to give our people in the office able, time to do their work and not have to be dealing with the phone calls. Uh, but it let me know that we hit a raw nerve with this one. Uh, I mean, this is a, a major thing. You know, it's interesting to me that the Bill Hallorans are all over the place, willing to share their opinion about sex, and it's okay. We learn about sex from cover of Cosmo and Seventeen, and the Internet, is, they say 50% of the web pages are dedicated to, to sex. You've got everything from Victoria's Secret mailers coming your way and, and the government dictating what we're supposed to believe about sex. I mean, everybody is sharing, and it's okay. But when God would open his mouth, we want to silence him. No, don't say anything. I mean, people, why are you doing this series? Well, I'm telling you, it'd be a whole lot easier to, to, to not. It'd be a lot easier to avoid the embarrassment and to avoid the, the criticism and the offense. It'd just be easier just to shut the thing. You say, you know what, let's just talk about something else. But this, this is a quote from, from Martin Luther. Martin, this was a while back, right? Martin Luther. He said, If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And you know, this is a battle that is raging. 
And you can't watch television. You can't turn on anything on computer with the edge. You cannot walk through and see, not, see the billboards. You live in this world. You are getting messages. You are being discipled on what sex is and what it's about and how it's supposed to operate and what you're supposed to believe and not believe. It's coming your way. And to not address it by God's word is clergy malpractice. It just is. And so you say, what does God say? Hugh Hefner did not create sex. Satan did not create sex. Satan's never created anything. He just takes that which God has made and twists it and changes it and shifts it. But God created this. And he created it fantastic. When God created man, he created the stars. He said they were good. And he said the sea and it was good. And the birds and they were good. Then he created man, a sexual being, man and woman. And he said, it's very good. So good sex is sex through God's eyes. How does God define good sex? We know what society might say. How does God define that? And is it possible if there is a God and he's alive that he might know a little bit more about this than you or I or Hollywood? And might it be possible that it has a specific purpose and if you use it according to its purpose, it could be all the more powerful? Is it possible? Well, our goal is with the series to understand God's mind on this. This is like uh, part one. This is 25%. This is a, a, a four, uh, this series is four weeks. Today's 25% of it. Keep coming back because you need to, to be here for the whole series. There will, I promise you, there will, I, for the most part, uh, good possibility, I will say things that will offend, and I don't mean to, but things you might not agree with, things that you're going to be saying, well, I, I'm not, I'm not. please keep coming. Just keep, keep coming for these four weeks. And then... Mill it through and decide if I'm out to lunch, just that's okay. But, but, but give, it, give it that kind of a, a shot. I think that would be uh, helpful for you. Now, um, the city of Corinth. Let me transition here. Uh, first century. Uh, Corinth is in Greece. And Corinth was a hotbed, no, ta- no pun intended, of every kind of sexual perversion that, that is out there. If you can imagine sexual perver- sexual perversion, don't try to do that. But if you can, it was probably a household word in Corinth. Corinth made the red light district of Amsterdam look like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. It was just a... And these people didn't think anything about it. This was just how you lived in Corinth. It was the way life was. You didn't think... Well, one day the Apostle Paul goes to Corinth. And he finds some people and he shares with them, you guys, you know what? Doesn't, doesn't come at them with their sexuality. He knew that was an issue. But, but more than that, he said, you know what? Y'all, y'all, there's a God who really exists. And he loves you very, very much. He sent his own son, Jesus, who, who died for you, for your, for your sin, that you could have a relationship with him. And a handful of, of believers in Corinth dedicated their, their, their lives to Christ. Well, Paul discipled them for a little bit, and then he left town. Then he started thinking... Ah, uh, you can get Corinth, you can get the man out of Corinth, but you can't always get Corinth out of the man. And I know these guys, and I know their heritage, and I know the environment in which they live. So he writes this letter, Corinthians, to, to them. Also, the, these guys in Corinth, these new believers, write to Paul. We don't know all that they, they asked him. They asked him some questions. We know some of their questions dealt with sex. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, He says, okay, let me answer some of your questions. Let me give you God's view of sex. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, if you don't, there should be a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. While you're turning, let me give you some basic foundation things on on sex, kind of 
different places in Scripture. But, but, so we'll get the basic foundation things, then we'll jump into what Paul's saying. First is that sex is good. Okay, let's, let's start there. It is good. Now, it's not good like, oh yeah, <laughs> sex is good. I know, no, 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 no. Sex, like the video, we make sex God. We make it ultimate sometimes. And when we do that, we set ourselves up because God created sex. And he didn't create it as God. And whenever we put anything in the God place, we expect it to do stuff for us that it was never intended to do. We can't do. And so many scars, many experiences later, we're going, well, this is just leaving me empty. This is not, this is not right. Well, yeah, because it was never meant to be the all, the, 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 the thing. So, so it, it's not the most important thing in the whole world. Also, it's second uh, negative or wrong perspective we can have about sex. It's just the opposite. And this is where the church comes in often. Sex is a necessary evil. You know, it's just a, a dirt. Augustine said, I wish God had never created sex. It's just, it's just, just a bad thing. And so we say it's a dirty thing. It's the only, tr- only message you hear from church people on sex often is, no, no, don't, 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 don't. And so you get this impression. Sex is just a bad thing. And God says, no, no. At the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2, very first man and woman. It says, the Lord God fashioned into a woman, a woman from the rib which he had taken from man, and he brought her to the man. God set this blind date up, right? And the man said, now notice what the man said. He didn't say, oh, I'm sure she has a nice personality. I'm sure she could cook well. I'm sure she means well. He, doesn't, he, he looks at her physically, right? This is flesh in my flesh. This is bone of my bones. She shall be called woman, which like, wow, wow, man, uh, because she was taken out of man. And the word woman means soft. It's, it's dealing with the physical element. And again, we can't, you can't, uh, in written word, always show the excitement, but the, the, the text, the Hebrew text, Adam is kind of just wigging out here. And, and then it says, for this reason, shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now that naked means more than just naked here in this context. And what God is saying is in the full orb sexual arena, the way it was originally intended, it's good. It's really good. No shame, no guilt, no fear, no pain. It's, it's perfect. It's good. It's the way it's supposed to be. Sex is a good thing. And I recognize if you have a history, and please know those who have a history, sometimes we feel alone thinking, I have a history, no one else does. This room is filled with people who have a history, just so you know that. Um, but if you have a history, sometimes you have a hard time seeing it as good because it's associated with too much pain or whatever else. Um, originally, at least you've got to get to the point of saying it supposed to be good and through God's grace and power maybe it can still get good for me and it can it can uh, it, it, so sex is, is a good thing second thing we need to keep in mind with this is that uh, sex and I'm just going to put this out this is the Christian sex ethic in the Bible uh, that sex is designed for one man and one woman in the context of marriage now if in fact you might, if you struggle with that at all, please just, just come all four weeks. And, but in Scripture, sex is designed for one man and one woman in the context of, of marriage. So let's just start with that. This is just 
Just so you know where I'm coming from in this, this series. Third thing we need to recognize regarding our sexuality is that we are fallen creatures. We are fallen sexually. Everybody in here. Um, the reason why we struggle with our sexuality is not because we live in a, a, a sex-crazed society, but it's because we are sin-saturated people. We are broken at our core. That means our, our sexuality has been broken. That's why our society is as it is. It's not something that's out there. It's something that's in here. Jesus said this. Jesus said, Matthew 5, He said, You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I mean, who is left standing when Jesus gets done here? Uh, you, you can't say that anybody, we are pure. Maybe through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are moving towards purity. But please don't ever think that, that, that we are not, that you are not very capable of and have the temptation of meism, of putting yourself in the middle of every single thing that ever happens. This is our dilemma. This is what happens. This is part of our issues. This is part of our, our sexual issues as well. We are fallen. We are fallen in a sexual way as well. It's just quite un, unfortunate, but we need to recognize that problems are going to come up. Problems will exist. Now, let's, let's check into 1 Corinthians. Let's look at our, our text. We're going to run through this, and as we do, we'll just make some comments. And again, the goal is what's God's mind here? And the first thing that we're going to see is sex is powerful and it's exclusive. Verse 12. He says, Paul is going to talk, he's talking about sex. He doesn't let them know yet his subject matter, but he starts off everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Then he quotes one of the sayings of Corinth. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us up also. Now, one of the concerns that he's, he's, he knows these guys, he knows where they live. And as he's talking to them, he says, he quotes one of their saints, food for the stomach and the stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. It was part of their philosophical system which said this, uh, the, the body is just appetites, and it's not going to really account to anything. It's going to be destroyed. And so the way we live our life is you just fulfill your appetite. Whatever your appetite is, you just fulfill it. How you ever, you, you, you want to fulfill it, it really doesn't matter because that's not going to last. What's going to last is your spirit, see? And so that's what you take care of, but your body, just do whatever you want with it. That was part of their mindset. And so Paul quotes them and says, oh, this is what you all are thinking, right? And that's when he comes back and says, uh, the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and will raise us also. This is, this is really a heavy doctrine. He's, not, he's going to come back to this in chapter 15. But what he's saying is, please don't think that your body is just a throwaway thing. That's not the case at all. I mean, Jesus was raised from the dead bodily. He says, and he's going to go back to this in 15 and explain all this more. We're not going to get into it right now. But one day, those of us in Christ will be raised bodily. He says, don't, don't think that body, your body is sacred. Your body is a very powerful thing. It's not just, it's not uh, 
just garbage that, the, that the, you use for however you want to want and throw it away when you die one day. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And so he's letting these guys know that. Then he says, do, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? These guys who came to know Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it said, the two will be one flesh. Um, the way, the, there were not a whole lot of single people at this point in history. You just wasn't even an option. No one even thought it was an option. Uh, we're going to talk about sex and the single next week, going to a different passage. But um, there just wasn't a lot of single people. And the way it worked is uh, you uh, got married for, to, with your wife to raise children. That was it. Just so you had an heir. So you had a last name that would continue, basically. But if you were really interested in sexual fulfillment, well, you went outside that. And he's talking about prostitution, which was legal. It was all over the place because all the temples, no one was an atheist. Everybody had a faith. Everyone had a religion. And almost all of the, the faiths, especially in Corinth, incorporated temple prostitution. Uh, prostitution was part of the economy. It was part of society. It was part of the culture. It just was. And, and Paul says to, the, to them, anytime you try to get into sex outside of the marriage bond, uh, sex outside of context wrecks. That's just a good thing to keep in mind. He's saying it's going to destroy. And so he gives them this example. And he, he says that, that if you hook, connect with a prostitute, um, got to keep this in mind, the two will become one flesh. He's quoting Jesus, who was quoting um, way back Genesis chapter 2. And so what's he talking about, this becoming one flesh thing? We think, well, we know what he's talking about. And, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, we do. If, in fact, it just meant the physical, then it makes no sense what he's saying. He's then saying, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one who unites himself with a prostitute? It's like, what? Yeah, of course, duh, we know that. He talks about this one flesh thing. It, it, it is very deep. Flesh does not just mean, it can mean this, but it doesn't just mean my skin, my, my, my bones, my blood. Paul says that I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. So just in my, my skin dwells no good thing? No, he's talking at his core. He's talking the depths of his heart. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So he's talking he's going to pour out his spirit on our skin? No, it's going to go into our core, our depth of who we are. This idea of, of a, a man and wa- woman, when they come together, they become one flesh. It incorporates the physical, but the physical element takes them to a new level. Very deep, deep level. Now just think about this for a second. If in fact sexuality was only ever experienced between one man and one woman in the context of marriage, and it was working right, and so they had all the fulfillment with it, the only place you could have some of this greatest fulfillment on earth is in the context of marriage. The only person who would know you like this is your spouse. The only person you would have such memories with or experiences with was your spouse. It would bond them. And that's what God says. One of the reasons for sex, I mean, sure, you got, you got enjoyment, you got procreation, but one of the, is, is that bonding aspect in marriage. And he says, when you, you have that with your spouse, there's something that transcendental that happens. I think C.S. Lewis, let me say, I think I got a quote by Lewis. He said, Christ described, oh, he's a quote from uh, Screwtape Letters. So you got a senior demon, Screwtape Letters, 
who is uh, writing to younger demon, a younger demon on how to tempt us. Okay, so this has got to get the, get the context. So this older demon is writing to the younger demon. He says this. He says, Christ described it as one flesh. Now you can make humans forget that the man they call, call Paul confined it to married couples. Mere copulation, according to Paul, makes for one flesh. The truth is that whenever a man lies with a woman, there, whether they like it or not, some kind of transcendental relationship or the potential for it is set up between them, which must be eternally enjoyed or endured. And you, you know, if you ever dated anybody and you were sexually active, that that's true. Because sometimes because you're involved physically, it's just hard. You should have broke up with this person a long time ago, but somehow you're thinking, I, I just feel like I need to be more committed or I need to be more in to this thing. It wasn't supposed to be that, that way. Oh. One flesh. Now, uh, Paul's going to go on. Verse 18. And he says, uh, flee from sexual immorality. The, the, the word for uh, immorality is um, pornea. And what pornea means is pornea means, in Scripture, basically any sex that's out of the box, you know, any sex out of the context, any sexual experience that's outside of that husband-wife relationship. In Scripture, you'll find fornication is listed as pornea. Fornication is um, basically two single folk that are not making a commitment to each other but trying to uh, get together physically scripture would call that fornication you've got adultery two people who are married they're just not married to each other they get involved sexually you've got homosexuality is referred to as pornea you've got bestiality we're not going to talk about that one uh, incest uh, sex within family members is referred to as pornea. Of course, joking. This is interesting. This is referred to as pornea. Just joking about sexuality in a degrading way. God says that that's off limits. That's orgies, of course, would be considered pornea. Um, also prostitution. And then even lust as referred to as uh, pornea. It's, it's, it's interesting. Now, as, as we, we talk about this, we've got we to... Gotta, Paul says, flee from those things. If there's a God, if he's created this, if he knows it better than we do, uh, let's, let's look and see what, why he would say that. Then he says, all other sins that a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you've received from God, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We want to make sure, as we're talking about this kind of thing, that we don't uh, categorize sins too greatly. All sin is sin, right? Jesus died for all sin. Any sin will keep you out of heaven. There aren't some sins that aren't too bad and then some sins that are really bad. Uh, sin will keep you out of heaven. Sin Jesus had to die for. Uh, sin is, any sin is enough to condemn you. Uh, all sin is sin. But not all sin is necessarily equal. Now, let me tell you where I'm, talk, where I'm going to. Look over chapter or 6 still, verse 9. Look what he says. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, look who he's going to call wicked. He says, don't be deceived. Don't trick yourself to think that the wicked will be. He wouldn't say don't be deceived unless we have the propensity to be deceived. He says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. 
And we say, okay, well, we, we've got the, that's where the church will like to draw the line. But he keeps going. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers. You know, the word slanderers means gossips. We wouldn't want to put the word gossip, the go- sin of gossip, in that same category as sexually immoral, would we? God says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Don't think that that's a good one. That's in, in God's mind. That we got it in the same category. Or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Says that's what some of you were, but you were washed and you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Oh, sin is sin, but not all sin is equal. And that's what he says here when he says that every other sin that you commit, other than the pornea sins, are outside your body. They're not good sins, they're bad sins. But when you, you, you get involved with this, you do some destruction. There's some consequences that are a lot greater than you're thinking. They do some destruction to your own soul. He says, don't go down that route. So he says, flee it. And then he, then he says, that our big idea probably for the whole four weeks, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. If you use your sexu- sexuality in a way that honors God, that's good sex. And I think we, we can tell as far as uh, time goes, right? There are ways you can use your time improperly. You can be lazy and you can use it for useless things and you can just use it for yourself. Or you can use it to do healthy things for yourself or good things for your family or good things for the community. Yeah, you can do time both ways. Money, certainly you can spend your money on yourself. You can waste it. You can use it for uh, useless things, bad things. You can save some, use some for your family, plan for your future, help out others, build the kingdom. There are ways, good ways to use time, bad ways to use time, good ways to use money and bad ways to use money. Sexuality, Paul would say, there are good ways to use sex and there are bad ways to use sex as well. It's not an issue of everything goes, no holes barred, which was completely uh, eye-opening for these guys in, in Corinth. So that's, that's, not, that's not the deal. Honor God with your body. And then you notice he's been saying, flee from sexual morality. But, but in chapter 7, something he goes, he goes 180. He says, run from sexual immorality, but run to sexual intimacy. You know, sex is a command in Scripture. It's not always always easy, though, is it? I know I got uh, married. Teresa and I were married in 1990. I'm pretty much a Casanova and understand how to do a, uh, a honeymoon. And so I thought, this is a piece of cake. So up to our wedding for two weeks, Teresa and I were both <clears throat> pulling all-nighters on a regular basis. I was closing up my uh, two different classes and doing my church stuff. And, and Teresa was, you know, sewing dresses and making mints and all this noise. And uh, uh, so we were walked into our wedding to shot. And then we had our wedding. And uh, we got out of there later uh, than we anticipated. And it probably would have been wiser maybe to have a hotel right by where we were and the airport and everything else. But I was afraid because I knew some of my kids as a youth pastor promised that they were going to crash my honeymoon. So I got a, a hotel like way out in the boonies, about an hour and a half. So Teresa and I drove way out there, uh, got through the, the first night, different issue, not x-ray, I'm not going to tell you about that one. Uh, but, that, but then the next day, because we were so far out, we, we, we had to drive back to the airport uh, so fast we missed our plane. 
And so they, but I figured I know what I'm doing. And, and the, the lady I said, can I beat the plane to Green Bay? And she said, oh, I doubt it, but try it. So I took off and I beat the plane to Green Bay. It was about 30 miles away. So I'm going like 900 miles an hour down the expressway because my wife and I were not going to miss that plane. We run through the airport. We got on the plane. By the time we landed in San Diego, Teresa was so sick. I mean, she was throwing. It was coming out both sides. It was just not a good picture. And so I, I flag a cabbie at the airport, and I, I give the cabbie the address of the hotel we're supposed to go to, and he takes us to the Pink Flamingo Norman Bates Motel. You know, the, you, you rent this place by the hour. I'm going, oh, my goodness, what have I done? But she's sick. We can't. So we go in and <laughs> kind of put plastic on the bed. Anyway, so she's sick as who knows what. I'm running all over San Diego trying to find, you know, my family, we medicated ourselves to death, so I'm getting Pepto-Bismol and Imodium's illegal in California. I found it. But you're getting all this stuff and trying to give it to my bride. And she starts to feel a little bit better. And so I said, okay, this is good. I'm looking at the map. Honey, Sequoia National Forest is just a little bit. Let's take that rental car and just cut off. I always wanted to see the redwoods. Wouldn't it be great, the sequoias? Wouldn't you expect sequoias to be in the Sequoia National Forest? I would expect this, right? Yeah, of course. So, but you cut off. The, the, the southern part of the Sequoia National Forest is nothing but a desert, just in case you were interested. There's no sequoias. There's no trees there. It's just bramble and, and, and sand. And I go, what is this? We get to Bakersfield. And I said, what in the world? You, where, where's forest? Where's sequoias? And they said, well, uh, San Francisco. I mean, you've got to go. You're going to be it way up north. I'm going so we were frustrated. We lay out by the pool because of can sleep in three months. I fall asleep at the pool, uh, high desert altitude. I get toasted. I am like a, a I make a lobster look pale. I was just so burned that night. I've got a high fever because of my sunburn. I'm sick with Teresa, so I'm throwing up. It's coming out. She's on that seven feet away from me on the king bed. I'm on this side king bed. We have to just be able to get out real quick to get to the toilet. So it, in the morning we wake up. Kind of. I don't think we ever slept, but I get up and I go okay. Get dressed. We're going to church. She says, what? I said, yeah, we're going to church. It's Easter. We always go to church. We're not going to church. First big honking fight we had, and it was big and honking. We went to church, by the way. Uh, <laughs> me with a black eye, but we went to church all the same. I re- it got a little bit better after that, but I remember flying home thinking, you know what? This just didn't go the way I anticipated it. It's not like the movies. And it's okay, and it's just not the way, I'm just not so sure about, about this. Uh, even in marriage, sex is sometimes confusing and a struggle. And Paul knows this, again, he's talking to married people, but he still says, even though all that is true, he does not say, God does not command, um, by the way, when you get married, if you want to. Evolve sexually, I got this thing over here, it's kind of, kind of fun, but you know, it's optional. He doesn't, he doesn't, chapter 7. And let me read you verses 1 and 2, which aren't on the screen, I don't think. But Paul says, now for the matters you wrote about. And he quotes them again. It's good for a man not to marry. This was kind of their thought. Uh, They became Christians and we just shouldn't be involved in any of this. And Paul says, "Ah, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital... Notice what he says now at this. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so Satan won't tempt you. Now... Now notice, we would expect this to say, especially in this culture, that ladies, your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the man. But God goes something 
that's not written anywhere else in this world at this point in history. And men, make sure you know as well, your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your wife. And men, just make sure you know, you have a responsibility, duty, to fulfill your marital obligations to your wife. And I know we talk about, well, it's all about the sex-crazed guy and the, the gal who's not interested, but you just, need to know, I'm, you just need to know that I've had, over the years, more women in my office hurt and uh, frustrated and disappointed because their husband has lost interest in them, because their hu- husband is just not attracted to them anymore or, or wants to be with them anymore. So this really is a, a two-way street thing. Paul knows this. God knows this. And as we see that the sexuality is to be mutually embraced here. You know, when we talk about a guy who is kind of uh, you know, stud sort of guy, virile, and he's just interested in all he's talking about is women. We say, well, he's kind of he's just a man. That's what a man does. It's a man who, who is a man. He's just talking about sex. It's a man. If you got a woman who's talking about sexual fulfillment or thinking about sex, what, what we got names for her too, right? But they're not real, real flattering names. But, but here, uh, Paul says, oh no, no, no. This, this, this double standard is just not the way it's supposed to be. You know, there's a book in the Bible. Uh, that's just about, the whole book, from beginning to end, is just about sexual intimacy in marriage. That's the whole book is about. And it's written poetically, and it's a good thing it is, because the metaphor is so incredibly graphic sometimes. It's just uh, um, amazing. In the Song of Solomon, the gal is, is writing, and this is what she says, just at one point. She says, my be- now she's using, you know, 3,000-year-old poetry, so cut her some slack. But she says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Again, she's not talking about his spirit, his heart, his kindness. He helps with the dishes. She's talking about what? Physically. His head is pure as gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like, uh, are like lilies dripping with myrrh. She says, his arms are rods of gold set with topaz, and his body is polished ivory, decorated with whatever that is. It's jewels. Uh, His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. She's talking about him physically. She loves what her man looks like. She's infatuated. She she is immersed with this. But she plans a date for him. And just look at this date in chapter 7. She says, come, my beloved. I was married. But come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded. She's, she's saying, let's just go on a, 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 a tour to, to look at our, you know, plants and things. That's a nice thing. The girls like to go to the arboretum, right? Just to see if their blossoms have opened and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. Whoa. I mean, this, this, this woman knows how to plant a picnic, doesn't she? It's like, whoa, man, okay. And this is, this is the thing. Gals, uh, if you desire sexual fulfillment, if you desire a man to hold you and tell you uh, that he loves you and you're beautiful, if, if you hope and dream and wish, please know that that's very, very normal. That's 
good. That's what God has designed. That's what God has built into all of us who are sexual beings. Yes, that's a good thing. Now, even though women and men have different desires along, along those lines, we go back to the sex outside the context wrecks. We have to keep it within the boundaries of how God desired it, what God meant it to be. We, we have to be along those, those lines. And men, we don't have to go through a whole lot of beauty proof that we're sexual beings. Um, Proverbs talks about guys. He says, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. You believe this stuff is in the Bible for crying out loud. Yes, yes. So guys, yes, this is, this is who we are. Sex is good. God has created it good, lived out in, in its context. And it's a reciprocal saying. Um, likewise, sex, I think we see, is a, uh, needs to be, according to the text here, frequent. It needs to be frequent. Look at how, how often are they supposed to be apart? I, I think this is great. The husband um, should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife's body doesn't belong to her alone, but to her husband, and vice versa. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. Not one person saying, I don't think I'm going to be a part of this. I'm not into this anymore. We're done. No, no, what? no it's mutual consent. God says the only time this stops is by mutual consent. And then notice the reason. Mutual consent so that you might, might pray. Um, he says, then come back together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, a couple things. This is a command, right? I mean, that's just... This command is up there. It's, it's a command in Scripture. It's just as much a command as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's just as much a command as going to all the world. It's just as much a command as, as love your neighbor as yourself. And to say, I'm not going to obey this one. I, I, this is just too difficult. I'm going to break this one. You just got to know. I mean, God allows us to break. We do it all the time, right? But we cannot disobey without it doing great damage to our own walk with him. It will hurt us spiritually. And I, I get it that sometimes there's some very complex situations and there's just an incredible amount of, of past trauma and pain and all those things. I, I, I get it. But it's that issue of, of even if I never get this right, I've got to be pursuing to get it right. I've got to be seeking to, to, to obey God here and do what I'm called to do here. If, if you seek to obey God, he'll take responsibility for, for the way things work out. He really will. Also, though, look what you do to your spouse. We would never mean to do this to our spouse. But if, in fact, we put them in a place where we just decide, you know, no, that's not going to be an option, we put them in a place, according to the text, of temptation, right? Of, of satanic involvement, possibly. Of, 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 of battles they're going to have to fight that they, they maybe are not even ready to fight or ought to be fighting. We put them into a very difficult place. When we push them into a place of saying, no, that's not, we're just not going to be a, a part of, of that. That's not going to be what we're doing. So, so how do we work on it? We need to work, we need to, I mean, remember, we're fallen. Everybody in here. It affects our sexuality. Everybody in here. There's no, no perfect scene. Got it. So how do we work on it, though? Let me throw out a couple of things. 
First of all, if you're, if you're a gal, uh, Intimate Issues by Linda Dillow, just a great book. Uh, she's just talking to w- women, their, their questions of sexuality. What, how do I deal with it? List a lot of different uh, scenarios. What if my husband A? What if my husband B? Just, it's, an ex- it's a very good book. Um, for men, Crazy Good Sex by Les Parrott. It's a perfect man title, isn't it? Crazy Good Sex. And it's not the book you want to be walking around showing everybody, this is what I'm reading. You can, you can load this baby on your Kindle. But uh, still, it's for men kind of what Dillow does with intimate issues for women. I would encourage you uh, also uh, to read as a couple uh, two books. Intimacy Ignited, uh, 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 Dr. and Mrs. Uh, Dillow go through the book of, of Song of Solomon. And it's to be read, as you read through this book, you and your spouse. And, and it's, it's powerful. Also, uh, Love Life for Every Married Couple by Ed Wheat. Uh, excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, let me just say, say this kind of deal. Um, there's a possibility that issues in the bedroom are not bedroom issues. Because, follow me, because sexuality goes to the depth of our core, because it's not just a flesh thing, because it's... Um, our problems that will show up in the bedroom may not be bedroom problems. They may be communication problems, love problems, forgiveness problems, respect problems. But they're going to show up here because in the sexual arena, we don't just enter in just with our body. It's a part of our whole soul. And so uh, those things will show up. So the better off those things are, the better off the, the uh, bedroom area will be as, as well. And, and if, in fact, um, we can get a lot of that straightened out, it's going to have an impact here also. It cannot help but do that. That's why I say this. One of the greatest things you can do for your marriage, and I tell this every wedding I ever do, is walk close to Christ. Men, get into a men, the men's frat study. Get to a Bible study. Gail, be going to the study. Make the study of God's Word a regular part. Because as you do, all of those other aspects of your life, you're learning God's plan, and they're sharpening. You think that won't impact this? Yes, it will. Now, I, I, I know the folks might be saying, well, listen, I'm spiritually single. What do I do with that? Or my spouse A, B, or C, what do I do with that? Um, what you're responsible for is what you're responsible for. Not the other individual. So you say, okay, what does God call me to do with this? God will take 100% responsibility for the life given 100% to him. But uh, as we pray for our spouse, for even this area of our life, um, God hears.